You're listening to episode 139 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. It is the 26th of March 2021 here in Norwich, as we're recording, slightly late with this episode due to my head imploding into a migraine earlier in the week. On the show today, we have a fantastic conversation between Steph and Tom Cox. Steph, tell us a little bit about Tom. Yes. So Tom, I had a fantastic conversation with Tom. I really, really enjoyed it. I've been following Tom's work for quite a while. He's the author of 10 books, including 21st Century Yokel, Help the Witch, which won a Shirley Jackson Horror Writing Award, Ring the Hill, and most recently, Notebook. This is his nonfiction book that's just come out a couple of weeks ago, I think. So in Notebook, which begins with a very unfortunate incident where Tom himself had his notebook, his precious writing notebook stolen, he uses this as a springboard for going through his older notebooks and starting to sort of assemble fragments of things that he had written, experiences he'd had. So it's uh, a book that's part autobiography, part kind of reflection on the process of writing and his time spent living in a lot of different places, one of which is Norwich, which we talk about, which is lovely. Tom's most recent books have all also been published through Unbound, which is an online publishing platform. So we spoke quite a bit about the process of using Unbound, why Tom has found it so useful and how it compares to publishing through a more traditional publishing house. Yeah, the Unbound stuff was really interesting to me in particular because I remember first hearing about Unbound, must have been like a decade ago or something, mm. when they, yeah, right in the early days when they started off and thinking how it sounded really intriguing but I wasn't quite sure if it was going to work but obviously since then they've had massive success and it's uh, a kind of a brand new model that I don't know if anyone else has really replicated it it's quite a unique thing they're doing kind of merging crowdfunding with a more traditional publishing output at the other end and yeah it sounds like it's worked out really well for Tom who's now put multiple books through that process. And yeah, you also touch upon Villager, which is his other book that's coming out this year. It's very indulgent having more than one book released in a year. I know. Two books, they sound, and they both sound fantastic, actually. Villager in particular um, is Tom's first novel and something that he's been writing for a very long time. I think he started it about 20 years ago. So I'm really looking forward to reading that one too. Yeah. But before we get to any of that, we have some news so the Early Career Awards that we started running last year, and we're now into year number two, uh, have just announced the judges for the UEA New Forms Award and the Laura Kinsella Fellowship, which is exciting news and particularly exciting to us, Steph. It is. Firstly, so the Laura Kinsella Fellowship, which is something which sets out to support an exceptionally talented early career writer of literary fiction who um, has experienced limiting circumstances of some kind or whose voice is underrepresented in mainstream literary fiction. So the judges for this year's fellowship are Kerry Hudson, who is a fiction and non-fiction writer, and her latest book and memoir, Lowborn, was a Radio 4 Book of the Week. And Eva Verde, who is a writer that we've worked alongside quite a few times, actually. Her short story was selected for Kit Duvall's Common People, an anthology of working class writers. And her debut novel, Lives Like Mine, is published uh, this June 2021. And the final judge is, of course, myself, which is very exciting. And I'm really thrilled to be working alongside such amazing people like Eva and Kerry. Yeah. So on the New Forms Award, there are three judges, which is myself. So Woo! the Writing Life podcast is nicely represented in these awards now. 
But more importantly, the other judges are Henry Sutton, who we've worked with extensively over the years on the Noirage Crime Writing Festival. And Henry is also the Professor of Creative Writing and Crime Fiction up at UEA. He's also, of course, a writer himself, having written many crime books, the most recent being Red Hot Front, which came out in 2018 under the pseudonym Harry Brett. And also on the judging panel is Yang Ge, who is an award-winning novelist of several books, including The Strange Beasts of China, which was published by Tilted Axis Press. The UEA New Forms Award is looking for fiction that explores the boundaries of possibility and particularly writers that are at the beginning of their careers. So I can't wait to see who is going to be coming in through the long list on that one. More on both of those awards in the coming weeks and months. So meanwhile, we have launched four new courses over on our Writers Toolkit Online portal, including three new poetry courses, which we're very excited about because it's the first time we've had poetry properly represented on WTO. We have First Steps in Short Form Poetry and New Ways with Short Form Poetry, both by Aki Schultz, which are these amazing deep dives into all these different forms of, of short poetry from the haiku to more modern forms like Twitter and Insta poetry and really fascinating. Both of those are completely free as well. So if you want to learn more about how to write those forms or just interested from a historical perspective, there's no reason not to dive straight in. We also have How to Be a Confident Poet from Anna Kathenka, which is really useful if you're you know at that early stage or even later on in your poetry writing and need a bit of a boost to where you're going with it. And then Mitch Johnson has put together writing characters for middle grade fiction, which is essential for anybody working in the YA field, but is full of great character tips for anyone writing any form of fiction. So do check those out. You can take a look at them at courses.nationalcenterforwriting.org. UK. And Steph, I believe we've also added another new course to our Creative Writing Online lineup. Yes, so I'm delighted to announce that Julia Blackburn, who is a prize-winning writer of 10 books of non-fiction, is joining us for our next Creative Writing Online semester starting in May, and she will be leading an introduction to memoir. As always, classes are capped for these online tutored courses at 15 places to make sure you get that really high quality experience and you get lots of one-to-one feedback on your writing from Julia. And if you book before 9am on Wednesday the 7th of April, so that's in a couple of weeks time, you'll also get a lovely early bird discount of 10%. So head over to the National Centre for Writing website and under courses, click premium tutored courses by UEA to find out more and book your place. Okay, let's head over to your chat with Tom. Just a quick note before we dive into this, that there is some swearing. So don't listen to this with the kids nearby or indeed with the parents nearby, depending on how old you actually are right now. So, Tom, it's so lovely to speak to you. Welcome to the Writing Life podcast. How are you doing today? I'm, yeah, very well. I, I'm sort of, I haven't done quite enough writing today, but it's <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have an evening on it. I'm basically saying to myself that um, I need to do uh, 2,000 a day at the moment, oh, wow. um, which, but that's also my limit. It's like, I, like 1500 is okay, but 2000 <laughs> is, is sort of, if I get to 2000 and I go beyond that, it's normally drivel. I normally look at it the next day and I have to kind of edit it a bit. That's kind of my limit. I've, I've written 3000 in a day before, but it's, it's a bit much really. Actually, Yeah. That's an amazing output. Actually, it's a lot of words to get down in one day, isn't it? But it's kind of the way it's about the way I work as well. Mm. It's not, um, 
it's not just like I could do that any day. It's mm-hmm. that is the result of a lot of faffing and a lot of writing <laughs> those words in my head while I'm walking and kind yeah. of somehow trying to bottle them um, from because because I normally do a lot of my best thinking for for my books on walks and I try mm. try and somehow retain it. And then it's like, okay, next day, drink a load of coffee and just get it all down there. Just yeah, get it all down when it's fresh, so you don't you don't lose those observations and those feelings. Yeah, I imagine. but you can yeah. never quite bottle it. It's it's. I mean, I've started doing voice notes um, recently to myself while mm. I'm walking, which which gets a bit closer to it because I, I actually I want to write a book on a walk because I think all books would be like twice as good if we could write them while we were walking. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. We've got these five writers in residence at the moment who are living in different cities across the world. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it's Valor who is from Iceland and he wrote a piece for us recently about how how the best writing happens away from the computer, you know, put down Absolutely. the computer, go for walks, because your best your best writing will actually take place when you're thinking and walking yeah. and not when you're in front of a, you know, a, a notebook or a, a screen. There's definitely Definitely, if I look back at, at my writing career, there's there's a sort of um, there's a big leap that I took, and I think it's where I sort of took a leap and stepped into my own voice rather than what was, I suppose, a hybrid of all the voices of the writers I loved mm. at the time. Mm. But and uncoincidentally, the point where I took that leap was the point where I started walking a lot. I mean, mm. like like walking kind of sometimes like. 70 miles a week sort of thing and and that's that's when it happened yeah that's amazing well before I ask you a few questions about your writing could you tell us just a bit about yourself for any listeners who are new to your work um yeah I'm a bit hard to sum up though because (laughs) um I I sort of I've written in so many different genres I mean people a few people have said to to me recently that um my books are genreless Mm. Um, I mean, that's a matter of an opinion, really. But I do kind of feel like um, when you start thinking of yourself as a genre writer, it can be very limiting. Yeah. And I've st- I've tried to step out of that um, more and more. But um, I my first book was about golf, which was was uh, it really? I didn't know that. <laughs> quite quite strange now. And I mean, when people meet me, they they really don't suspect that I have a dark golfing past. Um, I don't I think someone could speak to me for like intensively for a month and um, if that subject didn't come up they would not suspect it about me but my yeah. my teenage years were three three years in the middle of my adolescence that was like hardcore golf like obsessive thinking about nothing else but trying to be the next Seve Ballesteros Wow Tom Cox hardcore golfer didn't know that and um, and now I, I kind of I don't play at all anymore mm. um, I still I think if someone gave me a club and a ball I would um, enjoy hitting the ball I've always enjoyed the process of that but I don't I've never really felt comfortable with a lot of the culture around golf yeah. and environmentally um, I feel very uncomfortable with it yeah. so so not playing it is like it's almost a protest about that as well as well as the fact that I just can't be asked and it's just better to just go for a walk, really. It's less stressful. Yeah, I can imagine, yes. <laughs> so I've done two golf books and I did a golf book which was um, about uh, my year. I actually turned pro and had a year on the lower reaches of the wow. professional golf circuit playing actually the worst golf of my life, um, almost embarrassingly so, <laughs> which was um, there's, there's that. I don't know if it's Shakespeare, but a lot of people have... Um, 
have kind of um, re reset it in different ways, but it's basically happiness writes white. And I, 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 that was when I first learned that because that 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 was a miserable experience, an embarrassing yeah. experience, but it was actually oh. really fun to write about. Yeah. Oh. All my misery as a, as a crap pro golfer. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like a bit of, they're both golf books, not necessarily for people who like golf. Mm. And and um, and then I wrote I wrote about cats as well. I mean, my cats sort of. I wrote two music books, which I tell people not to buy because they're shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, but that I suppose they're like necessary mistakes. But they they were written yeah. from. Um, I don't know. I went. I think I went through a bit of a phase of of writing the books that other people told me I should write. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that was maybe a necessary a necessary part of the pro process to getting where I am now mm. and I might have not got to where I am now without making those mistakes in the same way but mm. I sort of that was like a kind of middle point in my writing career I'm still doing journalism so I suppose the books were a bit more journalistic as well mm. they were a bit more like okay I've got this is a lot of time and you sort of write it to order you do your synopsis and you have to fulfill that for your publisher mm. um and I carried on doing that sort of thing, but maybe with a bit more freedom until um, it was 2015 that I made a really big change. Um, I was still writing a countryside column for The Guardian and a few other bits and bobs for newspapers, which I'd been doing. I mean, I didn't I didn't get A-levels or a degree. I kind of, hmm. I, I was writing like from the end of my teens really and being paid for it because I started at the NME and... Um, had gone on to newspapers. So I'd, I'd done that for a long, long time, ne nearly mm. 20 years, 1996 to, to 2015. And in 2015, I just kind of, I think I, I just sort of snapped a bit and went, I've never, I never wanted to be a journalist. I, want, yeah. I, I wanted to write, but I never, and I thought I've done my time. Um, I'm not really enjoying it. I'm finding it very limiting. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to set up my website so I put all my stuff on there for free and mm. I, I write the stuff I really want to write. And there's an option if someone wants to like give me a quid a month or something um, to help support it, there's an option for them to do it, mm. which is a felt like a bit of a scary, weird thing to do. I don't like sort of asking people for money. It's not, it's not very, it doesn't feel very a, British. Really. Yeah. I think everyone feels, yeah, but I was going to say it's a very British thing, isn't it? Feeling awkward about asking people for money. Yeah. But, but the other way to do it would have been like to, um, to have a sort of a kind of locked gate on there that people had to pay to get through to read it. Mm. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's there. And what I thought was this probably won't work out as a full-time career. Um, I'll train to be a tree surgeon or, landscape gardener mm. or something like that something outdoors because I yeah. thought I want I'll do that but actually it sort of worked out and I still don't know you never feel that secure about your future as a writer but it's it's been working out since then and what I did the following year was um I started writing this book 21st century yokel which is a book that I'd wanted to write for years a, a kind of psychedelic nature and more book mm. I suppose mm. you'd call it like memoir nature social history landscape folklore humor i remember initial conversations about that um with publishers my agent um and i felt that if i'd sold that to a traditional publisher i would have had to shape it into something um that i 
didn't think it should be mm. something mm. um with that that horrible word people use all the time journey with a journey you know mm. what's what's the angle can you be like really sad at the start um and then find the answer in the middle and be really happy and have sorted your whole life out by the end and can you structure it that way and then we'll be able to sell it and maybe get it in tesco and i just thought fuck that i want to write the book that it should be and that is Mm. the most honest book possible which is a and that's a different kind of book that goes off in lots of different directions but i felt it had a it doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end, but the chapter import the chapter order is really important at the same time. Mm. In the same way as like an album, like say Fleetwood Max Rumors, just off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it's got a sort of narrative to it, even yeah. though the they're individual tracks that you can just play just one of if you want to. Um yes. I sort of felt so I wanted to do it like that. And fortunately, there's this crowdfunding publisher unbound. Um that I'd heard about um, and I had a fairly um, big online following um, that I'd built up uh, through my Guardian Country columns and my my tweets and things and um, so I was able to crowdfund it and write mm. the book that I really wanted to write and to make it um, look the way I thought it should do. They're, they're very focused on artwork on making it look really nice as well Mm. and that's that was sort of so that was that was 2015 when I started writing that and 2017 when it came out and that was kind of the start of this sort of it's like a a second phase to my career Mm. I suppose Mm. so that 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 feeling of kind of being more true to yourself and writing something that was more true to yourself definitely seems like it lines up with that decision to move away from a more traditional publisher and it, start start to work with Unbound. It definitely does. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that I wouldn't use a traditional publisher again in the future. Mm. I mean, if if I was to have a relationship with with one who really understood what I was trying to do and didn't try to to make me uh, make the book worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, to sort of to try and sell it um, yeah. in various ways, and and they put nice artwork on. I I'd be totally up for working with mm. a traditional publisher. I I've got little memories of um, just just little little directions I was pushed in with earlier books, and I look back at at those decisions where I didn't stand up for myself. I just went, yeah, mm. okay, like I'll do that. I always said, yeah, I'll do it. I wasn't very stubborn. I was just very much a people pleaser. And I look back at what that did to the book and I thought, yeah. no, that's made it worse actually. Like mm. um, like my, my first cat book, which is about lots of other things apart from cats, as all four of my cat books are, um, you know, I was, I was put under pressure to give it this um, subtitle, Confessions of a Cat Man. <laughs> right like get, yeah. get it into the the shops get it into supermarkets get it into asda um and really that's not true to myself that yeah. subtitle at mm. all i mean yeah i had quite a few cats i like cats i found them interesting to write about but i like all animals really and yeah. it made it like there's you know there's more to me as a person than that it was trying to pigeonhole me to try and sell the book yeah, it's packaging it in a very particular way, isn't it? Exactly. And the, the I rewrote the intro um, to make more of that, mm. um, to kind of say, hey, this is who I am. I'm the cat man, which, mm. is, which really annoys me now when I look back at it because I just think, no, I feel like I was sort of 
slightly strong-armed into doing that. Yeah, and yeah. It mu- it mu- that must be quite easy. Like that must happen quite easily to quite a few people, though. Especially, oh yeah. I don't know if it. Yeah, you're. You know, you're getting published for. I don't know the first first time, or you know, it's something that you haven't been doing for so long. You know, now I guess you have much more confidence and experience. You'd be able to kind of stage. I guess it's staying true to each book as well, isn't it? As you say that the books that you're writing and putting out there at the moment feel like they 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 work really well with Unbound. Creating those books that way is staying true to the to the kind of story that you're putting out there. I mean, I think I think it, the the problem I've always had. Re- really is that um i wanted to write fiction most but mm. i didn't feel like i was allowed to write fiction yeah but if you're in a position where you're allowed to write fiction um perhaps because ju- just a publisher has just decided they have a lot of confidence in you mm. or you've you've got a bit of a track record of writing other fiction and it's selling it's then you've got a bit more freedom to just say well this is going to be really really quite weird and um and i can't sum it up in a synopsis i can't mm. can't summarize it you've just got to read the book you know like a, yeah. lot, a lot of my favorite novels are like that really you couldn't just just sum them up easily they're not a sound bite um yeah. but but to get in that position where you can do that is is bloody hard work un- unless you're you know one of these lucky people who come out of the um uea's um creative writing ma mm. and get 100 grand advance or something yeah, and, yeah. and but these these things they're very much in the minority they do, yeah. they don't happen to to many of us a lot of us to get in that position if we ever do might take 20 odd years of slog really yeah it really is a fluke if you can manage to sort of achieve these things overnight. Yeah. You end up doing things that maybe you weren't quite expecting to do. Like you say, you had a kind of novel in mind, but ended up writing quite a lot of nonfiction books. Yeah. But weirdly, I'm glad about that now mm. um, because um, I think I must have scrapped my novel four or five times mm. like around the time I was writing those non-fiction books I was this constant disappointment to myself where I just kind of like have the, these grand ideas about the fiction that I wanted to write and mm. get like 20 odd thousand words in and then and then go shit I need to pay the rent or or mortgage yeah. as it was at one mm. brief time and uh and then go stop pissing around no one cares about this right write the book that you know you can sell mm. um mm. and that was hugely disappointing at the time because it it felt felt like a failure but actually I look back and I don't think I was ready to write fiction because mm. I don't think I truly believed in what I was writing and I don't think yeah. I had enough to say at that point and that was quite a hard lesson to learn jumping the gun a bit because this is a book that you're currently writing right now but you're yeah. you're finally r- sort of writing this this fiction book villager that you've been wanting to write for 20 years yeah i mean what i did is um because now village is my fifth book with unbound mm. so there was um the 21st century yokel first and third was ring the hill which yes. is a, another kind of psychedelic nature landscape and more book but in the in between i did write my first book of fiction which is help the witch Mm. um and that was um i mean a lot of people would say it's it's quite quite a sort of um weird unique sort of book but it was it was a little bit of a 
uh, putting a, a toe in the water of fiction yeah. for me rather than being really brave and going, hey, I'm writing a novel straight away. I just yeah. thought, Let, let's do um, a bunch of short stories that are kind of, they're linked by the by certain winteriness, I think, mm. and mm. by, um, they all have something quite folkloric, folkloric in them and uh and also there's a it's not witches in every story but witches pop up or the the idea of mm. witches the idea of persecution and mm. in that way kind of is a bit of a recurring theme that holds it together but it it is a collection of very different short stories all very different in style and then um so now now i'm writing something that's that's a bit a bit bigger and a, a bit more it's still actually um, very episodic. Each chapter mm. is almost standalone, but it's all it's all about one village, and it's all linked by um, it's it's linked by two things mainly, which is a, a sort of um, a bit of folklore that's passed mm. down the ages, also a, a lost record as well that was recorded or written in this place and that that's what holds it all together but but it, it's it's set in quite a few different different times it's set over the course of um of over a century as that's well amazing it just sounds fascinating i can't wait to read that actually it sounds very much very much up my street oh really but it- yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you a bit more about Unbound because I, I mean, I know, I, I know that it's a crowdfunding kind of publishing platform. But do you find that it's quite, is it quite labour intensive to publish a book that way, or is it actually, I guess, compared to sort of tradition, more traditional routes of publishing? What, what do you like in particular about this process? Yeah, I won't um, lie and say it's it's perfect. It has its downsides, definitely. Um, I think what what you notice when you're doing it because you're you're funding it mostly through social media so you you have to be quite present on there while you're you're funding the book and and that is of course a huge distraction to the actual writing of it which is the important part so it's kind of getting the balance between those things that's a bit difficult um I mean, the first one, I think because I, I came um, right out and sort of said, this is the book I've always wanted to to write. I'm taking a bit of a gamble and doing this crowdfunding thing. And I had a bunch of people who were really behind me and they got excited about the idea. That was that was almost like a bit of an explosion and it funded in seven hours, which was their record. That's amazing. Um, and uh, I can't remember what the final percentage was, but it, it, it funded very, very well. Um, you can't, I don't think you can regenerate that kind of excitement each time you do it. Um, but you have certain people who will be, who've, who've who enjoyed the first book, so they'll stay loyal and they'll um, fund the second one. And they, what's really nice is that they get more, more excited about the idea of it because it, it's independent. Um, you can, they can see it's someone doing exactly what, they want to do and they they really like um the fact that it's a really nice object as well Un- unbound are very they've, they've used really good cover designers these these books i've never really before that had a had a cover on one of my books where i've i've gone that's that's exactly what i would have put on it that whereas these are everyone the beautiful covers yeah yeah claire Malinsky is is the mm. one who's done a few and uh 
and Joe McLaren. They're, they're both, um, Joe McLaren did Help the Witch. They're, they're both really talented artists. I think I read somewhere as well that you said you get more reader feedback through Unbound because you're making that, I guess you've got that direct conversation with the readers and supporters. So you're getting that real sense of what the final book means to them as well. Yeah, yeah. I, It's really exciting to see that. Mm. I think the connection's been stronger in a way. Like I... I've noticed like the level of um, so notebook, for example, got its first review the other day, which is oh. the one that's just um, that that I guess guess we'll we'll talk about in a moment. It's, it's the yeah. one that's just just about to come out, mm. um, and it got an early review from someone who'd funded the book, and um, it was a really nice review. But what what just struck me is it was so well written. It yeah. was, and it was someone in the review writing about their own life, and I get some some messages some emails um where you're just um you're actually quite stunned by Mm. how passionate and how well written the response to the book is and Mm. that seems to have happened much more since I've been publishing with Unbound I mean this feels like a good time to talk a bit about Notebook which is as you say your latest book so you're publishing two this year busy busy year 2021 (laughs) yeah I mean it probably seems busier than than it is um the pandemic kind of um is responsible for that because Notebook was supposed to come out last year but because um Covid just like played havoc with all the distribution and everything like that they they decided so I finished it last spring but um they decided to to hold it from autumn and until um, until this month, until March. So it's out on the 18th of March and um, I read it last week, which was so much fun. I had such a lovely time reading it, actually. It was oh. so warm and funny and just like a really, uh, for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll go on to this a bit, I, it was sort of like a really nice blend of sort of familiarity and then, you know, very unique personal experiences that are unique to you as well. So it's kind of a, I guess it's like an autobiography written and assembled in fragments, isn't it? I think so, yeah. I want to ask you, I mean, it, this this is in the book, but just talk to me briefly about how this book came into being because it started in a very dramatic way, didn't it, <laughs> it with the theft of your rucksack? Yeah, I, I mean, I blame um, Michael Jackson because... <laughs> um, um, don't stop till you get enough came came on in this pub I was in. It was my friend's um, birthday, and she'd she'd hide out this pub, and I just leapt onto the dance floor. As I, I mean, it would have been even more more like that if it was Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Yeah. These, these are just just songs. I I just can't stay still. I would break off mm. rudely from any conversation I'm in if they're if they're on and there's a dance floor. So I just slung my rucksack. <laughs> By the by, the side of the dance floor, and then um, by the time I came back, it was gone. This is in um, in Easton, in Bristol, and uh, I, I mean, it's really baffling actually because quite a lot of rucksacks or bags had been slung by the side of this dance floor, and mine was very clearly the the shittest of all of them. <laughs> I mean, it had like a load of sort of Dartmoor mud on it, and it, it was it was just this really crap rucksack from like 20 years ago must have piqued someone's interest <laughs> why why on earth they they thought that that would be the one to take but so what it had in it was um might not have remembered everything here because it is um nearly three years ago now but um there was definitely a lush bath bar in there mm-hmm. um there was a copy of the novel the chemical romance um i think Lindsay clark did he write that um and uh there was my wallet and my phone and then a journal 
um, containing the best part of a year of notes mm. um, towards my next fiction, towards my next nonfiction. It wasn't, I say journal, notebook. I mean, there was shopping lists in it and stuff as well. There was all sorts in it. But there was a lot of good thoughts in yeah. there, I think, that I perhaps can never get back. Um, I don't think it was the best notebook I've ever written, but it, it was fairly good. Um, and I never got any of that back. Um, yeah. I put out appeals and all sorts. And it is a bit of a, a pain um, when you're stranded in a, in a city two hours from where you live um, with no money and no phone. Mm. Um, and, uh, oh, that that was the other thing. Um, my car keys were in there too. Um, so I couldn't drive back home to Devon. Um, I'll cut a long story short. I won't tell you about how I actually managed to, to get... <laughs> get back um and get my car keys uh, get my spare car keys and um then just sort of be in one piece at the end of this mm-hmm. experience but there was a certain pain to losing my wallet and phone but the lasting pain is losing those um those notes I bet. um and what i did afterwards is i bought a notebook with um william morris's strawberry thief design on the love cover. that print yeah love it so much and um and i said right this is going to be the best notebook ever and uh, i'm going to finish it because a lot a lot of the time i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a tart when it comes to notebooks and i'll just mm. i'll just sort of go um get halfway through one and get seduced by another yeah nicer... you find another one with a nice cover don't yeah. you and you think oh i could do great things with that notebook yeah my writing will be better in this one and then you're writing so neat on the first page and then gradually um just totally goes to pot and uh but i didn't do this this i then i finished this notebook quite quickly this strawberry thief one and there's there's a lot of stuff from that um in notebook but but yeah, so so I was kind of I was writing these notes, and I just sort of I started to think about notebooks themselves and the immediacy mm-hmm. of them, um, and how I kind of like that. And I started to think about about how important they'd been to my recent books. Um, how so many of them, like almost like the grain of the writing. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think I said this in the book, but it's it's something along the lines of. The way I feel is that without those notebooks, without those bits of observations that that I'd written down, I mean, a lot of the time, like at the end of a walk, just sitting on a rock, quickly write something down, or mm. um, in a in a pub with that great um, first pint after the walk that you have, which is always it's always like the best pint ever. Mm. You don't want a second pint; you want the first pint again. And it's like yeah. while I'm having that pint, I'll write down these thoughts, and these have become like the fabric, the grain of my books. Like without them. Um, like maybe they'd just be a laminate floor, but they've they've mm. got something. They've got a bit more texture because of it. Um, but then I thought, well, what if it was just the notes and not the rest that, that mm. kind of binds it together? Would would it work? And I started to think how it would work. And also, I I'd got to the point where um, haven't kept notebooks and diaries all my life, but I had been doing it fairly diligently for a decade or so Mm. and there was a I I felt I'd got to a point where there was quite a bit of stuff in there which um which wasn't which hadn't gone in ring the hill or 21st century yokel or help the witch 
and not because I didn't like it, just because it didn't belong in there. Didn't fit, yeah. So there was sort of there was some outtakes. Um, so I want I wanted to make this a standalone book. I could have made it like oh, it's just it's just highlights from my notebooks, but I don't want to repeat stuff from those books. So there's mm. no repetition of observations or things that happened in those books. It's all stuff that just hadn't found its way in, including this. There's a thing about an encounter with um, some cattle, which I first, I wrote that in bloody 2010. Really? And it's been, it's, it's actually been in the first draft of a few different books. And then I've cut it out mm. because I've just gone, I like it, but it's just not, it's not welcome here. Mm-hmm. This isn't its place. It's time will come. Um, so I, I edited it. I, ch- I chopped it quite a bit because I'm a bit more brutal on myself than I used mm. to be. And it, and it finally found its place here along with other stuff. And, and the, the final thing that I think really influenced this book is that I read um, these two quite obscure um, 70s books. Um, one is called Speedboat by Renata Adler. And, okay. and the other one is... Um, um sleepless nights by elizabeth hardwick um Mm -hmm. and that's i've got really nice 70s virago edition of that one and and they're both quite short i think i say obscure they're critically acclaimed like people who've read them seem to absolutely love them or find Mm. them like super weird and they're not diaries and they're not fiction and they're but they're real like stream of consciousness Mm. um narratives they they have a narrative but it's very abstract but but what holds it together is this really strong voice that they've they've both got um and uh and the feeling that they're they're talking to you about some of their deepest thoughts Mm. the conversational Mm. aspect even even though the the writing is, is is very very good and very very um I mean, quite highbrow in places as well. Mm. And and they were a big influence on me because I sort of thought I kind of want to be, I want to do something like a bit like that. Maybe like, I suppose I was thinking cross with um, Roger Deakins, um, yeah. posthumous diaries and, mm. um, and then um, and maybe a little bit of some of the, the madcap really early Woody Allen writing <laughs> as, mm. as well. Uh, I mean, if anything, I suppose it's sort of a hybrid of those three things. Yeah, I can absolutely see that, you know. It's like a yeah, a lovely stream of consciousness and you've got these these very small small memories, these small fragments that, as you say, if you hadn't written them down in a notebook 10 years ago, they would have been lost to memory forever. But they've, you know, yeah. you've managed to feature them again now. And then there's, you know, much bigger sort of more profound moments in your life. And it's all kind of threaded together with wit and warmth. And yeah, it just works really, really beautifully, I think. And there's also, for me, I really enjoy that kind of, I mean, it's the notebook, um, the notebooks themselves. And I guess it also kind of ties into the way that you've published it through Unbound. So it's a really lovely um, treasured object, as you say. It's that sort of satisfying, tangible nature of um, 
of notebooks and sort of putting pen to paper. And you mentioned mixtapes a few times as well. It's that really, I don't know, it, it reminds me of kind of zine making as well. I'm someone who likes to make zines. Oh, yeah. The, I don't know. It's the, say, like the immediacy of making those things. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it, it, it's no coincidence that I did, I did a fanzine as well. Well, there in you go. My late <laughs> teens, so, and I did used to absolutely love doing that. Yeah. There's something about it, isn't there? And and I did, yeah, I wanted that immediacy. I mean, in a, there's, there's this weird feeling I have about it, like, it could have actually been um, sharper or, or I could have edited it more sharply, like almost that it could have been better, almost that I made mm. it a bit less good um, mm. because I wanted to recreate that, the, those, just those instant thoughts, like not, yeah. not over edit them or over expand yeah. on them. Mm. I wanted people to see how they were when I first wrote them down. Yeah, and yeah. and what what they felt like and what I felt like on that day when mm. I wrote them whereas I I could have I could have kind of sanded them expanded them turned them into into something a bit bigger but I thought that's not the place for this this is just a, a silly little niche book before I yeah. do something a bit bigger that's the way I I kind of thought of it yeah how did you go about curating and shaping the book itself if you've got did you have a collection of notebooks and you read through all of them and kind of pulled bits out and yeah. moved them around how did that work that was time consuming actually because mm. i i sort of felt when i started this book oh this will be piss easy i can do this in no time at all because <laughs> it's like it's just highlights it's stuff i've already written but then it became really time consuming because i i get i go through all these notebooks pulling all these stuff out these bits out and then also, like the checking, because uh, my short-term memory can be a bit crap sometimes, mm. like double checking, that's definitely not in um, this book that I wrote seven <laughs> years ago. I just want to double check that I didn't put it in that um, because I'm not someone who like rereads my books after they've mm. come out. I want to forget about them, really. Um, mm. So so I had to do that. And then and then I'd find and I'd think, okay, this belongs here. Um, and... Um, and then I, I started to think about the themes. I, I also started to separate some stuff, which was like, um, okay, that would be good here, but in this fiction I'm about to write next, or some other yeah. fiction I'm going to write in five years, I really want to save it for that. So I'm not mm. putting. So that would that was something that I chop out. But then I had to think about things like, um, so so how am I going to organise it? And I could have done it like I could have said, okay, here's the nature section. Here's yeah. the music section. Here's the book section. Here's the family section. Um, but I didn't want it to be that simple. Mm. And I thought that, again, would take away from the immediacy of, of the narrative, almost like the strength of the voice of it. Mm -hmm. um, so instead, I've got these kind of abstract sections, which I started to think about um, as I was doing them, a bit like when I used to make mixtapes for friends, mm -hmm. um, which was something, again, like fanzine making that I ab absolutely love doing and, mm -hmm. and put a lot of time into, like um, re really thinking about, um, like it wouldn't be a genre mixtape, but it would have a feel to it. Yeah. And I, I think, and it wouldn't, there wouldn't be all songs about one thing, but they'd mm -hmm. some, somehow getting something that, that fitted together really really coherently but the, that went off into mad different directions so I thought these are these are a bunch of different mixtapes mm, mm. and then I enjoyed um 
are thinking of titles for them as well. Yeah, the titles are yeah particularly funny. I really enjoyed those oh, titles. You. There's a lot of writerly reflections as well. So you know, you talk about the life of the writer and your process of writing. There's a there's a, a part where you talk about your ten stages of book writing that <laughs> made me laugh a lot as well. But I think there's a lot of experiences and worries that lots of other writers will read and identify with. And at one point you talk about the fear with a capital F, yeah. this kind of balance between not feeling financially secure and at the same time, you know, not wanting to work so hard that you reach burnout. And I get the sense that you've kind of come to terms with that balance a little bit now, but I just I just wondered if you could talk a bit about that sort of kind of balancing that finance and the the working hard and the doing sort of staying true to yourself and all of those kinds of things isn't it I think maybe it's um, it's embracing and accepting the fact that it it'll always be there that battle mm. really mm. and maybe it, it always has to be there um and it's not about um what I thought it was about maybe in my 20s and maybe even early to mid thirties, which which is about about kind of pushing and pushing until you get some kind some kind of smooth plateau mm. where you're not um, all your demons are gone while you're writing. Yeah. Like you, you're not yeah. troubled at all. Everything's yeah. just just easy and placid and smooth. Mm. Who wants that? No way. Yeah. That's not going to yeah. make for a good book. Um, so I think. I mean, I don't want to be having been skint at times in the past been like really really terrified about money a couple of times I don't want to feel like that again really um but at the same time um I'm kind of one of those people who's like I don't want to win the lottery I feel Mm. feel like cheating that would I sort of I don't want to get to that I'd really worry about what that might do to my work if Mm -hmm. I won the lottery so I I actually I think I am driven by that fear and I sort of think I like it and I think it's it's okay. I mean mm. I suppose that's I don't I don't know about advice. I think um I think writing advice on the internet there's too much of it yeah. a lot of the time <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it feels to me like part of that here's another phrase I really dislike modern phrase life hack like yes th- yeah. this kind of th- is there is there the a quick way to get yeah the shortcut where yeah. I can be just really lazy here and be mm. really successful without doing any hard work? Can mm. you tell me that? Like that feels a real internet thing mm. and um, part of social media, part of the quick fix, shallow nature of the culture. And I really don't like it. I really like long cuts. I yeah. think long cuts are, are just are just kind of a fan, fantastic thing. Um, yeah. So so you know, I think the the best writing advice is is, is possibly. Um, be uh get get let down by a few people then get older yeah maybe that's yeah. that's quite a, a good thing to do which which will happen to everyone yeah I know what you mean I think yeah maybe advice is the wrong word I think a lot of the writers we speak to I guess reassurance might be um a better I, word I for it. they want we, reassurance we that other people that. yeah yeah have been through the same thing or are bugged by the same yeah. insecurities or you know nagging worries I guess whether they're doing you know yeah whether they're writing life is going the way it should or whether you know other people face these things or I, I yeah. think that's super important and I think that that really you know if there is a way to teach writing 
that really needs to be a big part of it. And that is something that I perhaps would have liked a bit more of when I was younger. Mm. Like, like just, well, you know, be able to say, I'm feeling this right now. And some, someone who's been through it, just say, well, that's all right. You know, yeah. that's, that's part of it. Um, rather than someone saying, no, you have to be perfect and mm. you have to make more money, please. Um, because I don't think that that's very healthy, really, yeah. to be to be told that or to be made made to feel that. I th- I think that that little demon on your shoulder is um is just just a really important thing. And I it works in different ways though. I was thinking about this recently, um, and it's perhaps a a half thought out thought, but um, I I think. There's a there's two different things. There's like beating yourself up and just saying, "Oh, I'm terrible. I can't do this. This is <laughs> mm. that's not the same as as having like a, a healthily critical demon on yes. your shoulder." And I think you you do need that. And I yeah. and I think like I've got this one that um that came into being about I've got a few, but one that I know I remember him being born this demon and this Mm. was in 2007 January 2007 and it was Mm. when my second golf book Bring Me the Head of Sergio Garcia came back from my editor Tristan Jones um, who was a brilliant editor and sadly now since retired from the publishing industry Um, and I thought this was the best book I'd ever written I thought this was like I'd really taken a step on and i I think I was feeling maybe a bit pleased with myself when I sent it mm. off to him. And it came back with so many marks on it, all all in his um, his beautiful <sighs> handwriting. And it almost made me burst into tears when I got it back because I was like, yeah. what is it? Is it that bad? Is yeah. it that much wrong? <laughs> destroyed it? it, yeah. And um, so, and then like, I kind of put it to one side for three days and then I came back and I started I started to realize, okay, th- this is, he's just giving this as a suggestion. He's not saying you have to take this out you mm. have, at, at times. And then other times I was thinking, I was starting to think, yeah, he's right. Um, but it was the first time, I think the editors had been really easy on me before that. It was the first time someone had been really hard on me. And since that day, I've been much harder on myself with editing. Yeah. And I've started to a while after that I started to love editing I started to love almost as much as the the burst of free-flowing creativity mm-hmm. when you're when you're really rolling the, the kind of going back and chiseling and yeah. just saying am I am I saying this fairly complicated thing in the simplest possible way mm-hmm. and that's and he's you know I don't know where he is now but I hope he knows that that he's a really really important part of my development and I just feel mm-hmm. so grateful to him so lovely. That's great. We were talking about this a little bit before I hit record on the podcast, actually. I think you have a very strong sense of place, um, yeah. which is something that yeah I think about a lot as well. I think I'm very tied to place um, and I feel very inspired by place. And there's a, a there's a few settings because you've moved around quite a lot. So there's quite a bit of this book takes place in uh, sort of notebooks in Norwich and yeah. then um, in... Uh, the West Country and in Nottingham, but there's a there's a piece where you say uh, I would be a different writer if I'd never moved away from Norfolk and Norwich and a different person. Yeah, and I just wondered how did that move from Norfolk to the West Country sort of change your your writing? What did you mean by that? Well, I'd been there. Um, I I'd, I'd been living in Norfolk for 
I'm really quite a long time. I moved to Norfolk at the end of 2001 and I moved away at the start of 2014. So that's that's nearly 13 years and um and I'd written quite a lot about Norfolk and and I I'd loved it while I I lived there but but what happened just going to such a different place um which mm. was um about 6 miles south of Dartmoor that's where I moved to um you know from that from those flatlands to this mm. this this rolling slightly rugged landscape um with with real really just you know, different plants in it and things, mm, and mm. and a, a total different microclimate. I mean, so so wet and and dripping, and the and the sun. You feel so so close to the sun when you're at the top of the hills, and all all the different no no flint, lots of granite, all of that. It it gave me like this whole different color palette to work with in my mm. writing. I feel, and um and it felt like I, it didn't feel like I'd been in black and white and gone into color but it, it did feel feel like suddenly I'd learned how to mix paint a bit better um mm. and uh and then I was tuned in and what what actually happened as a result of that is when I would go back to Norfolk and Suffolk because mm. I love Suffolk as well um mm. I find myself more tuned into things in the landscape there yeah it's like yeah. my my eyes were getting more open to things that, that I hadn't noticed before Mm-hmm. And um, I obviously I did love all of the passages about Norwich and Norfolk in particular. Um, you know, I live there, and we're the National Centre for Writing is based in Norwich as well. And there were so many recognisable kind of locations and characters that you mention. I hope even um, my my fondness for it comes through. You know, oh, even absolutely. though I don't live and there anymore, it is it's definitely one of my favourite cities. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And even the um, you mentioned the white cat in Rosary Cemetery at some point, <laughs> and no lie, I see that cat all the time. <laughs> yeah, when we go there, it's like, oh, there's the white cat again. So that made me that made me smile. But um, Norwich, of course, is known for being a sort of a writer's city. But how do you feel about Norwich as a setting to write? Does it inspire you? I I too? think um, what happened there is because I went back. Um, in uh july 2019 really complicated set of circumstances made Mm. me make that decision to go back but part of what was driving it um was i wanted to have another go about right at writing about it and Mm. um with with this i suppose being more tuned into architecture and landscape as well um and that that quite excited me and and i really um I, th- I think this this book is, in some ways, it's my most uh, urban book because mm. of that experience. Because I was I was enjoying writing about all the little alleyways and li- little mm. features on old buildings and and just doing lots of city walking. I did did a huge amount of city walking. Actually, I feel like I I circled the whole city in those mm. few months and and just tried to. Um, I'm sure I, I left some some paths unexplored but I was really trying to explore all of them and and yeah. just just finding out bit, bits of local history and um and I'm really glad that I went and did that and mm. and I think this this book was a, a good place for some of that but on a, on a personal level um after a while I I'm so addicted to hills like yeah. I, I'm a massive <laughs> hill yeah I mean it's I suppose it's actually compared to the rest of Norfolk it's it's surprisingly hilly but it's not like it's not like Dartmoor hilly or or sort of North Cornish coast hilly and I I um 
found it for me personally after a while a bit tame and i was mm. just desperate to like uh walk up a hill or be almost blown off a cliff into mm. the atlantic um <laughs> these were the things i was missing quite painfully so i realized that it was it was just a, a temporary return for me yeah yeah i spend well obviously i spend so much time in norwich if i go anywhere else and there's even a slight incline <laughs> I'm just like out of breath yeah. within five minutes. It's like, what is this? This crazy hill. And oh, it's yeah. nothing. <laughs> I was so out of breath. My first ever, my first six months in Devon in 2014, I was just constantly out of breath. You have to, you, it takes a while to get hill fit here. Yeah, get great exercise though. Yes. <laughs> You've got two two books coming out this year and people can find out more about them online and Notebook is coming out in March on the 18th. And when is Villager coming out? Is it not quite got a, a, it's, I mean, a set it's date yet? It's definitely autumn. I don't think they, mm. they've named the exact day yet. I think they do that because mm. um, they're just like uh, quite maybe conscious that things can get in the way and writers yes. can, can submit a little bit late. Um, yeah. I'm... What have I written? I've written more than half of it. And um, I'm sort of like, uh, I'm really on the home straight with it now. I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm getting towards the end. So I'm, I'm fairly confident I'm going to finish in time, which is, which is going to be um, in April. And then, it, then it'll come out in autumn and it's still funding. I mean, it has funded, but people can still go on the Unbound website and um, they, they can sort of reserve their first edition hardback. Mm. And there are some li little rewards still left a few of them have sold out um but the, the little treats you get i suppose if you if you buy a slightly big bigger pack, package when you fund it and we might put a few more on as well um once it gets gets a bit closer to the publication date do you have any idea where you might want to go i mean it it's hard to not live sort of day by day at the moment in this strange pandemic world. Yeah. But do you have any idea where you might want to go next with your writing after this? You, the novel seems like it was, yeah, it's been on the to-do list for a long time. So have you thought about what's beyond that? Well, I mean, it, a lot of it's often dictated by what you're allowed to do. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, that aside, what I'm finding as I'm writing this is um, – I have always wanted to write fiction and it's it's a huge relief for me not to be writing about myself for a while. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed being some other people in this book. Mm. Um, but I, th I feel like what, what I hope in my nonfiction books is that, see, in a way, I, I don't think my life's very interesting. But so I'm writing about myself in, in my recent nonfiction and I'm I'm hoping that I'm kind of using that as a device to talk about bigger things like or to talk about more universal things or to talk about nature and landscape and just just using me and, and my my little everyday concerns almost as a as a kind of vehicle for that um but at the same time you you do sort of feel like oh oh just shut up about yourself like <laughs> like just just write about some something else for a change and that's been really nice in villager and it's just kind of made me realize that um you know i have always wanted to to write fiction it it really does kind of open the floodgates of your imagination um even though i've realized you can do much more with non-fiction you can make it much weirder than i ever thought you could and you can be more experimental with it but I still, fit, fiction is really the thing for me. So what I would love to do is write more after this. Um, and 
but I'm finding myself drawn to the idea of writing another book of short stories. Yeah. Which, which is what um, every agent or money-minded publisher in the world will tell you not to do because short stories <laughs> right. don't sell. But I just, it's starting to feel like naturally there's going to be another another little connection collection mm. after this. I'm just about to write a, a story for a, a kind of... Um, a folklore orientated series um that radio four are doing oh excellent um, in april um really looking forward to that and so that's kind of making me feel like well it's just i've I've got about five ideas for stories that don't fit in villager and um mm. so i i think i'll do that but but also i'm not ruling out more landscape based non-fiction mm. as well mm. and ju- or just doing something totally surprising because i i'm very creatively restless like i you know write a sci-fi novel or something like that i like to keep myself interested definitely yeah i don't want to write the same book over and over again i think that's that's actually all right for some writers like Mm. um, i used to really like carl hyacin's um detective novels um Mm. and uh and that in some ways you could argue they're the same book over and over again but he's very very good at it and uh Mm. And, but I, I'm just, I'm not that kind of writer. I, I yeah. want to do lots and lots of different things. Well, hopefully we can have you back on at some point in future to talk about your fiction writing and whatever else you've, oh, you've got coming up. But thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really, really lovely to speak to you. And I really enjoyed reading Notebooks. So thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your surroundings. And because uh, it sounds lovely out there and yeah we'll speak to you again soon thank you Steph great cheers thanks for listening and big thanks to Tom for coming on and chatting to Steph if you have any questions or you want to get in touch with us you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre we're on Facebook and you can head over to the website nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk to find out all about our courses events and our smashing online resources and join your wonderful weekly newsletter Of course, yes, plug for the newsletter. Please do sign up and I will send you lots of lovely information and opportunities direct to your inbox. Yeah, and we also have a Discord community, which is completely free to join, full of, well, I say full of people, it's like over a thousand people in there now. It's quite a busy party, really. It is. I mean, they're not commenting all the time because that would be mad, but it's a lovely place to find other writers, chat about your process, uh, join up with other people to do little writing sprints that kind of thing which is particularly valuable i think while we're still stuck in lockdown yes absolutely please do rate review and subscribe or follow the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes talking of future episodes next week we are joined by greg kasevin who is the head writer at Supergiant games who created the game hades which did extremely well when it came out last year and in fact, last night won five BAFTA awards, including Best Narrative. So really excited to talk to Greg. He's just another well of incredible information for anyone interested in writing for games. So do not miss that episode. Thanks again. Keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.